Hello, welcome to Knowles 24-7's On The Bench Podcast. This is Brendan Snow, and I'm talking extra quickly right now, faster than usual, because there's a lot of people nearby, and I need to record this while it's still kind of quiet. I'm recording in a public space, and also I'm talking about FSU's new offense, which is going to be super-duper fast under Kendall Browse. Temple's going to be a big deal. You can call it the space and pace. You can call it the veer and shoot, the ISO offense, whatever you want to call it. We're talking about that today on The Bench. I have my friend Aaron Avery. He's a football coach down at the Bowl School. In the Jacksonville area, he is super-duper well-informed with this offense. He studied it. He's talked to various coaches at various levels about it. He ran it at Oakleaf last year at a really high level, bringing elements of it to his new job at the Bowl School. But he's someone who knows football and knows the fear-and-shoot offense, what Kendall Browse wants to run at a very, very high level. And he can explain it in a way that's pretty digestible. So if you want to learn about the new offense FSU's running this year under Kendall Browse, and, and all, Avery... Uh, Uh, Coach Avery also knows a little bit about Jeff Sims, Walter Simmons. He's worked with both of those guys personally in the past year. Two quarterback recruits, one who's committed to FSU, another one who has FSU's interest. Avery will talk about those two on the the bench today. So check out Knowles 24-7's On the Bench podcast. This is Brendan Sinone. Uh, We'll be uh, back with Aaron Avery in about a second, talking at hyperspeed. Oh, and it'll be slower on the way back in. But yeah, listen to the the podcast. This episode coming up is really good. A word from our uh, our sponsors, and then, then we'll be talking about football coming up. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, welcome to On the Bench, and I have a special guest today. That is a, uh, well, I'm not going to call him an expert or a guru, but he is someone who's very familiar and... I uh, studied the the Veer and Shoot, uh, Baylor, Bryles offense, however you want to phrase it, and that's Aaron Avery. He's a quarterback coach and offensive coordinator at the Bowl School in Jacksonville. He's a friend of mine. We go back uh, a pretty long way together. Coached freshman football about ten years ago at a at a little school in Orlando. Coach Avery, Aaron Avery, whatever we want to call you on this podcast, welcome, sir. How's it going, man? Good, good. I'm I'm happy to have you on here, and uh, this is something that we've set up for a little while now. And that was, uh, you know, you having familiarity with the offense that Florida State's planning to to run this year under Kendall Bryles, and and FSU's kind of transition to a spread scheme uh, last year. But um, but this year it's going to look a little bit more different with Bryles coming on. He obviously brings a lot of success and and a strong history from his time at Baylor and FAU and Houston. Everywhere he's gone, his offenses have produced. 
maybe let's start off with this. What do you call the offense? I've heard it described as different things. Veer and Shu, uh, the Baylor offense, I guess your history with it. And we'll get into your credentials in a second, but what should I be calling it during the podcast? Yeah. You know, I, I've seen it identified a couple of ways. Veer and shoots definitely one of them. Uh, the, the space and pace offense I've seen people call it. Um, in my mind, I, I think of it kind of as like a, it's an isolation offense. You know, they, uh, but those max splits that they used a bunch at Baylor and at times his last couple stops, I mean, it's, it's an isolation offense. Basically, it's going to force the defense into deciding, look, do you want to play enough defenders in the box or do you want to, uh, you know, have enough help on the perimeter for the, uh, the vertical throw game? All right, let's real quick get the, get the awkward stuff out of the way. Let's go over your credentials real, your real quick and, and why I brought you uh, onto the podcast, podcast here to talk about it. Um, currently, like I said, you're, you're coaching at the Bowl School and that, that in and of itself, I want to ask you about that in a little bit, man. It's an interesting transition and going from a, a really prestigious program that, that ran a, what was like a wing T option-based offense for, for years and at an elite level. And now you're, you're kind of modernizing the offense, but maybe work us back through your, your coaching career, bringing you up to this point. Yeah. So uh, prior to being at bowl last year, I was at um, Oakleaf high school in orange park, Florida. Um, uh, it's a seven, a program. Last year, we made, uh, made the playoffs for the second time in school history. Just a bunch of really, really great football players. I had an opportunity to coach with a close friend of mine, head coach Frank Garris. Prior to that, I spent four years at Conavidra High School with head coach Matthew Toblin, uh, who's the current head coach at Bulls. Um, went on, had a bunch of success there, coached, uh, coached Florida Mr. Football in 2016, Nick Trani. Before that, I, I bounced around a couple places for a couple years, so... Before that, I was at Mandarin High School for a year with head coach Brian Braddock, who now is the head coach at St. Augustine High School. Before that, I was at Bishop Kinney. And then uh, prior to that, spent a couple of years at Nice High School, my alma mater. And then uh, before that, I was coaching with you down in Orlando <laughs> at, at, at Haggerty. Do we want to go over the Haggerty? What was our record, our freshman football team? We were both at UCF then. Uh, did we win two games or one? I can't remember. I try to block it out. Not, not many. Not, yeah, not many. I I think Lake Howell. I think we knocked off Lake Howell. I remember that, uh, but then I don't. I don't remember any other ones. You know, it's not a good sign usually when your school's uniforms are powder blue. I just feel like that doesn't translate over to a lot of success. Not always. It's not a rule of thumb, but but typically uh, it's not not a not a formula for success. But look how far you've come. Look how far I've come. Here we are talking about yeah. about big boy big boy football right now. So uh, real quick, should we get the the niece thing out of the way? This isn't FSU podcast uh do you want to tell people who you played high school football with yeah the the my all my time at ucf the room the question i always got you oh you played high school football at sim tebow yes <laughs> played high school football with sim tebow uh class of 2006 played the you know all his three years at nice played there won a state championship in 2005 i mean was he as was he as awesome in person as uh, as as i can imagine He's he's 100% as advertised. I mean, there's he he is 100% as advertised. Probably probably one of the two most competitive human beings I've ever been around. Um, and and you talk about people that will will the people around them to do things. Like I mean, you know, one of the best leaders has his, definitely has his own leadership style. But I mean, you want to talk about one person being able to will ten other people around him to do something. You know, awesome. Uh, he's that guy. I mean, just unbelievable competitive. You know that I I, tack, I tackled Tim Tebow in Pop Warner football once. True story. There you go. That's my that's my. Claim I got a. 
my my Tebow claim to fame is I got tagged out in the state championship game so he could uh, replace me uh, <laughs> on the uh, on the final drive playing against uh, Sefner Armwood. He uh, he went and, and played D line, and so uh, that that's my that might be my claim to fame. I mean, if at, anyone at point, if anyone in the world had to tag you out, <laughs> if anyone in the yeah. world had to tag you out, not. Not that I was a very good football player, but at least I did get tagged out by Tim Tebow at one point. Uh, that's that's a hell of a claim to fame. Uh, who who was <laughs> yeah. number? Who's the who's the other person? You said he's one of two people uh, as far as being the most competitive you've been around. Uh, who who else um, is in that conversation with him? I mean, it feels like hard to beat. Uh, Nick Trani, the quarterback okay. I had at the quarterback I had at Pontevedra. He's now um, he's now at FAU. I mean, he's an, he's another kid where you know you talk about a guy being able to will a team. To, to achieve great things. I mean, he's, he's one of many leaders on that Ponte Vedra team, but he's just a, he's a, a different dude, you know, just a different, different guy when it terms, in terms of competing. And you got to work with some pretty cool quarterbacks and uh, guys who were successful at the college level. Uh, wasn't it the, the kid from Wake Forest, if I'm not mistaken, I'm blanking on the name right now off the top of my head. Um, uh, yeah. Jo- Johnny Wolford, John Wolford. That's right. That's he right. At Wake Forest. I didn't have I didn't have anything to do with his development. I got to basically be lucky to be around him. Um, he's another guy where, like you know, I mean that's the thing all those guys have have uh, in common. They're all unbelievable competitors. I mean they've all got something that people want to knock on them. You know, Tebow's throwing motion. Uh, there are some concerns with Charlie's throwing motion. John Wolford's tight. But I mean you want to talk about guys that have you know, quote unquote, major knocks, but guys that found a way to have a ton of success, uh, basically just because they want it more than the other, the other team. And, and a little bit of foreshadowing here, uh, Avery works with some quarterbacks in the Jacksonville area. Uh, Jeff Sims, Walter Simmons are, are two of the names that we'll touch on a little bit later. Cause this is an FSU podcast, but, uh, for now, dude, let's, uh, let's focus on, on, uh, on the Baylor offense. Uh, let's, well, maybe describe it to me this way. If I were like a, a true freshman coming into to your program right now, um, and you were doing an orientation of like this is what the offense is, I guess how would you how would you define it, and how would you describe it to to me in a really simplistic term? In my mind, I mean, if I had to be super simple, I'd say like, hey, it's going to be it's a, a downhill run vertical pass offense. Um, at the end of the day. You know, people people think because of the success Baylor had through the air that they're, you know, an air raid, you know, Lincoln Riley type offense. But they're I don't think they are. I don't I don't think they view themselves as that. Um, I, I think at the end of the day, like, if they get a favorable box, they want to be a, a downhill run team. And if you want to leave their leave their dudes on the perimeter one on one and they're fine saying like, hey, look, we're going to be a vertical throw team. Oh, what what drew you to this scheme initially and i guess like when yeah i guess one what well let's start off this way when did it first kind of become apparent to you like okay this Baylor's doing this really cool thing uh and then two well why did you like it what made you think okay this is something i want to learn and 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 study and put a lot of time and energy into learning yeah i think anytime a team starts scoring a ton of points regardless of who they are right uh, as an offensive coach you you kind of want to say like hey what are they doing like i got to check this out um and I think the other thing that's interesting about it that maybe draws teams to it is that there's there's no information out there about it. Um, it's not like there's a a Art Briles, Kendall Briles playbook floating around. It's not like there are uh, those guys in that in that Briles coaching tree doing a whole bunch of clinics. 
Um, and so I think that might be one of the things that's super interesting about it is that it's, it's not like the Air Raid where I could type in Air Raid into Google and get, you know, 15 playbooks immediately, like written, drawn up with video included playbooks. Uh, so I think that might be one of the things that not only is it an offense that's scoring a bunch of points, that's also an offense that's kind of a, you know, it, you as a coach either have to be in it to know it or you've got to do a ton of research, um, you know, maybe fill in some blanks on the offense in terms of, of figuring out exactly what they do. And on some of you kind of got to look back and piece together where he's been and how those pieces fit in the puzzle. Uh, you go back to the veer and shoot. I mean, knowing that information helps you helps you kind of fill out some of the pieces in the puzzle. So when, at what point did you, I guess, how, how, how long in the making has this been for you to now be someone who's helping install this sort of offense? I understand like it's going to have various types of schemes and uh, you're going to change it and shift it to your personnel, but like to, to get it to this point where you're someone who's helping install it at a pretty high level, how long did it take you to kind of become intimately familiar or at least you know pretty familiar with, with the concepts that they, they ran at Baylor? Yeah, so we ran we ran a lot of things fairly similar last year at Oakleaf. We're different on offense um, at Bulls. Last year at Oakleaf was kind of really the year where we uh, we we kind of went all in on a bunch of the concepts in terms of the throw game. In terms of like we adopted being a max split, you know, um, offense at the high school level. And so last year was the first time you know I really kind of felt comfortable doing it, especially because I I I got you know some some really good firsthand type information on the offense where uh, I really understood some of the things, you know, that they were trying to do. And so last year was, was really when we kind of dove into it uh, pretty deep at Oakley. And we, you know, I felt like, I felt like we had a pretty, you know, pretty good amount of success running that offense. Right. Um, and so last year was the first time, you know, really saying like, Hey, look, I think it fits our personnel. You know, it fits the personnel at Oakley really, really well. Uh, so, you know, kind of right place, right time in terms of, you know, my understanding of it. And then in terms of being, you know, having a roster where I think it really is something that plays well into the, those kids, you know, talents and skills. Uh, one thing from when we've gotten a chance, the media covering FSU, we, we've had a chance to speak with Kendall Bryles. He talks a lot about how versatile that, that the offense is and that you can kind of mold it to fit it to your personnel and, and it's fairly adaptable, I guess. Is that something that you've seen and experienced since you kind of become familiar with it? Yeah, I, I think that, and then also just go back and look at the years they had at Baylor. I mean, it's a deal where, you know, at one point they had RG three back there and uh, it, it looked different than when they had um, Bryce Petty back there. I think it, it easily, you know, is changeable based on who the quarterback is and then his last couple stops at Houston with Derek King and then at FAU, he had, uh, you know, Jason Driscoll. And so I think he's able to easily adapt it in terms of who the quarterback is. And then, uh, kind of the box personnel as well, in terms of the O-line tight end, you know, running backs are able to, uh, make it fit those guys. I think maybe the one thing that, that is, I don't want to say required in that offense, but the one thing that definitely helps is having some dudes that can run on the, uh, the perimeter. Like if you, if you've got some special athletes on the perimeter, that's, in my opinion, what, what makes the offense kind of take off. Um, but I think you can, you can look back and see the last couple stops of how really, really good, you know, well of job he's done adapting the offense to fit the quarterback personnel he's had. 
because every every seems like every year he's got someone different that isn't isn't the same as the last guy he had. Eric King is different than I think the guys that are on that FSU roster. Well, let's talk about you mentioned the athletes, and let's for a second take, talk about spacing because you've talked about that that too. Um, the wide splits for those who aren't familiar with it, and we saw that at Florida State last year. Remember for for our listeners, Willie Taggart did go to Baylor and implement some of their philosophies into his quote-unquote Gulf Coast offense and what he did, especially at USF. Uh, not all of it was, you know, taken verbatim from, from Baylor, but he spent, you know, about a, a day and a half there learning the offense and talking to coaches back when he was at USF. So, uh, Avery, we can talk about the, one, the spacing, and then two, how that kind of fits into uh, what Kendall Browse talks about, which is getting the ball to athletes in space, like the way that, that you can do that within within this scheme. Yeah, and so I think the the spacing, in in my mind, the way the spacing works is it kind of makes the defense pick and choose how they want to line up and defend you. I mean, now now that kind of nickel personnel is base personnel at the college and the NFL level, um, you want to say that, hey, look, let's make their nickel defender kind of choose. Does he want to be a box fitter? Does he want to be, you know, primarily in coverage? And so with those splits, you don't – Defenders don't have the ability to, to play both. Like, they don't have the ability, like, look, I can be a run fitter and defend the, the vertical throw game with those splits. You make them, you make them prick, pick pre-snap. Where do you want to line up? How do you want to play? If you want to defend the throw, that's fine. If we've got the box count, like, we're going to run the ball. You want to try to line up and defend the pass, or sorry, defend the run, that's fine. We should be, you know, close to one-on-the-one the perimeter. Here we go. If you try to play both with those splits, you can't. And so they can just kind of pick you apart with some now screen type stuff, get the ball from her right now in space. Because because of those splits, if you try to play both, you're you're just kind of in no man's land. How important with that in mind is the pre-play stuff that that you're trying to do in that offense? I think we saw last year DeAndre Francois struggled making pre-play reads, uh, and certainly in-play reads, but struggled just to find the numbers advantage. I guess it, how often, dude, are you? putting in a play or have something dialed up that is supposed to take advantage of, of those numbers advantages that, that you could have from play to play. Like, is that almost every single play has, has that pre-play stuff built in, or I guess what's the frequency of it? It's, it's in terms of at what they do, I think, you know, again, not, not being firsthand on the staff. I think he sure. tries to make sure his quarterback, they've always got somewhere to go with the ball. Okay. Uh, if the box is loaded, the quarterbacks receivers, like they've, they've got an answer if he's got a run play called, um, you know, or, or vice versa, like, Hey, look, if it's a pass play called, like we've got some sort of answer in terms of checking into a run Q run. Um, I think that, I think that's one of the things that makes his offense, you know, it's Excel is that it's a, it's a, it's kind of like the air raid, like it's a rep based offense. Like once you get a bunch of work in it, it's, it's second nature. Like you let kids play fast. Um, cause you, you're more worried about them seeing grass than under, you know, having to know the entire structure of a defense. Um, and so pre-snap, I, I, one of the things is like making sure, look, the quarterback's always got quarterbacks, always got an out. He's always got a way to save the play pre-snap and then post-snap. You know, I think some of the things they do are, uh, you know, again, rep intensive, nothing that's mm-hmm. too tough you know, mentally, I think it's just something that you, you've got to get a bunch of work on, which is, which, you know, that's any offense, like almost any offense for you to be good at it. You know, you, you've got to get reps out. If there was one magic offense, that's what everybody would run. Um, 
and so it's it's just it's rep intensive. And you mentioned playing fast, uh, and I know tempo is a part of that. That's something that FSU tried to implement last year. Uh, had to actually scale it back, dude, because they were they were struggling so much from going to from pro style to you know, under Jimbo Fisher had one of the slower, if not slowest tempos in the country to go something that was up up tempo. Uh, but when you talk about playing fast, is that strictly tempo or is there a more like philosophical stuff kind of intertwined into to what that means, that quote unquote playing playing fast? No, I think I think they want to push the tempo. They want to be a fast tempo team, but then they like while the snap is going on, they want to play fast. Like I think as a coach, anytime you can ask your kids to uh, not have to do a bunch of thinking between the snap and the whistle, that lets them play fast. And so instead of having, you know, the kids do too much thinking from snap to whistle, he can play fast. And then one of the things that impresses me most is uh, he's the play caller and the signaler. And so that's what allows them to play really fast is that there is no communication time gap between him reading the play to someone else, that person signaling it. And then the kids running it, he is signaling the play in and, and letting the kids go. Like there is no one more step of communication. Like he's able to, he's able to immediately get the play in. And so I think that's another thing that we're like, Hey, there's one less person we've got to communicate with that allows them to kind of push the tempo. Yeah. KB talked about that yesterday was like, even in practice, uh, he's the one he's on the sideline calling in the plays. And he's like, I, it's gotta be me. They have to know my mannerisms. They have to be familiar with like what I'm going to call. Uh, how rare is that though? If uh, for the office of coordinator to be on the field, being the one that hands on, you know, calling the plays like directly and, and signaling them in. Um, I know that's something that surprised a lot of us covering the team. Uh, and you obviously are more familiar with different offenses around the country than I am. Uh, is that, is that pretty rare? I can't say I've watched every, every, you know, college football team there is. I got to imagine there aren't very many teams in the country doing that where the play mm-hmm. caller is also the signaler. Um, Cause I, I think it, and I've, I've read quotes where he's talked about it. Like, Hey, you know, I know the game plan. I know what I'm going to call. Like why read off a script? Like when we're in drive, you know, he's, he's like, look, I know what I want to call. I don't need to read off a script. I don't need to slow us down. Um, and I think, I mean, I think it's just a, a testament to how, how well he knows that scheme. I think it, and, and knows how defenses are going to defend them. I think I, you know, it's impressive to me. I mean, I, I see it happen in games and I'm, I'm impressed that he's able to call plays and signal it. It doesn't seem like, you know, from the broadcast perspective, there are ever very many busts. Um, but I, I don't think there are many teams in, in college football right now that are doing that, but I, I definitely, I've not watched every team out there. Have you ever tried to do that or seen that executed you know, on the, on the prep level? I just, just to get an idea of how, how difficult that is to, to, to manage it like that. You know, um, I haven't done it. I've, uh, I've played around with the idea. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, you know, the one thing as a play caller, especially when you start getting into situational football, like it's, it's tougher to maybe have every situation memorized versus first and second down play calls. Um, I love the idea of it, but I, I, I haven't done it. I mean, I, I mm-hmm. get why he does it. I love the idea of it, but it, it's not something that I've done. Um, we've always just had one, you know, another guy or two communicating. Um, and so the way that we kind of make up for it is like having those calls ready, not, mm-hmm. not being a deal where, Hey, look, 
wait to spot the ball, wait to get lined up in a formation. It's no look like plays done immediately get the next call in. I mean, that's probably the closest we are to what he's doing. Cause uh, I don't, I, I don't, maybe I'll have the guts right now to be the signaler on the play caller. <laughs> that's, that's, that seems like a tough task. Uh, he's, I mean, I, I think this kind of fits into like KB's, his whole history. I mean, he was born into that offense or essentially like that was, you know, his, his dad ran and, and you talk about someone who has an intimate knowledge of it. I mean, that seems like that's years and years and years in the making. It's, it's innate for him. Uh, which brings me to, to my next question, dude, is you mentioned early on, like you go on, you go online to Google, uh, this playbook and it, it's not really out there. there. There's not a whole lot of tutorials. Like I've seen, I've seen coach Randy Clements do some stuff on YouTube, but there's not a whole lot out there. Uh, is that, is it just the offense is valued that much to where it's secret? Is it, I know KB has talked about it being um, uh, basically being easier for players to not have that playbook to basically not overwhelm them. Is, that just seems so interesting to me that, that there's not this tangible playbook floating around. Uh, whereas most other schemes, there's, there's stuff that exists like that. Yeah. I think, I think that's where most, you know, spread football teams are trending towards is, uh, you know, let's not have a, uh, paper drawn up playbook, but let's have a video library of our plays. Um, I mean, that's kind of always one of those things where like, Hey, if I can show the kids a clip of like, you know, I mean, I'm, when I was at Oakley, if I could show the kids a clip of, of Baylor scoring a 60 yard touchdown on that, like that's way more interesting to them than them seeing everything drawn up on paper. Okay. Um, and I think too, it, it lets you show, the answers against more, you know, all the variations of coverages. Whereas if I just draw up, you know, the, the pass play uh, against no defense, well, that doesn't really help the kids out. If I draw it up against all the defenses, well, now it's, you know, you know, 10, 12 sheets of paper, whatever it may be. And so I think because of how players are, where they want to be able to interact with it, they want to be able to see it on their phones. They want to be able to hold it on their iPad. Then, as a coach, we've got to make sure that we're giving them the tools that they excel best with. And so I think not having a physical playbook is more about him kind of understanding, like, look, that's how, that's how players learn now. Um, you know, schools, schools are going to less textbooks, more, more iBooks. Mm-hmm. Um, kids want to see, kids want to see explosive football plays. I think I, I read about that in the uh, NFL, maybe, you know, the, when, when Aaron Rodgers, that's what happened to Aaron Rodgers. He didn't get the playbook before he got cut up, you know, of all the big touchdowns um, this past offseason. And so I think that being able to show it on film, I think is a little bit more um, encompasses the whole concept, everything you want to do, more than just mm-hmm. trying to show it drawn up. And so that's, that is, it's not a playbook per se, but I mean, if, it's, if he's like everybody else, He's got, you know, a video library that the, uh, the kids can go on and access. Everything's tagged so they can see exactly what, what they're going to call it, exactly how it's ran against other teams. And then, you know, I'm sure those guys at FSU like seeing, you know, oh, hey, that's what we do now. And that's Houston scoring a 60-yard touchdown on it. Or that's mm-hmm. Baylor scoring, a, you know, a 50-yard touchdown on it. That's, you know, FAU doing it. And so I think not only does it help kids learn, but I think it kind of, it keeps them engaged. Like a sure. kid can, kids, players can go. And I want to, I keep saying kids at my level, you know, <laughs> that, that's you know, they're grown men. And I think it, it, you can keep them engaged when you're showing, you know, highlights. 
like, Hey, look, we're showing highlight reels. And I think you can, you can get guys engaged. They'll watch a lot more film that way than if you say, Hey, here's a book, go sit in your dorm, read it and know it, know it by tomorrow's, you know, training camp install. I think that's, you know, you're, you're kind of setting your kids up to, to struggle a little bit at some places. So, so with that in mind, this is going to be a, it's going to be an overly simplistic question, but, uh, and I'm sure it's going to result in a, a more complex answer, but it's going to be a yes or no one. Is, is this a relatively easy offense to install compared to maybe some other ones uh, that, that you know, you've, you've studied uh, previously that, that are around on the college level? I would say if you, if you ask Kendall that question, I bet he says yes. Okay. I, mean, I think it's always, you know, if you, whatever you know best is the easiest to install. And so sure. for him, he, he probably install that offense in two or three days. Whereas, you know, Mike Leach can install his offense in two or three days and army and can install theirs. And so I think to him it is. And I think, you know, it's however well you're, you are as a teacher. And so mm-hmm. if you're a really good teacher, regardless of scheme, it's, it's easy to install. And I think if you just kind of look at his proven success as a, as a coordinator, I would, I would venture to bet that he's a, he's a fairly good teacher. It definitely helps having, you know, an O-line coach that he's extremely familiar with. Now, you know, one of them can, can install the run game portion of things in heavy detail. The other one can handle the pass game in heavy detail. And so I think, I think for him, if you ask him that question, he would say it's extremely easy. Uh, but, but, you know, I think if you ask any, any, any of those guys, Lincoln Riley, Mike Leach, um, they're all going to kind of say the same thing about, about their respective offenses. And so however well you are as a teacher is, is however easy it's going to be for the, uh, the players to learn it. And so it, that is a gen- super general o- over generalization <laughs> about it. Uh, but I, I think that's, that's the truth. But that, that's all right, dude. I set you up for to do a generalization. That's that, that was what I set you up for. Nicely done. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> We, we, all right, so when we look at this offense, and, and we, we've gone over so far, I'm just trying to recount it all in my mind and look at my notes here. So you've talked about the ability for it to be, uh, let, let's say, versatile for the quarterbacks. You can fit in different quarterbacks in this scheme. We've seen Kendall do that. Uh, you've talked about the spacing. You hinted on you know, the vertical routes, the importance of getting athletes in space. Uh, I'm trying to think of any other, I guess, baseline you know, generalities about this offense uh, that that you like that you've seen work well, like why it's catching on and why more and more coaches are using this. Is there anything else like the Cliff Notes version of this offense that that we're missing right now? Again, I just go back to it. It's an isolation offense. I mean, you talk about basketball where you know there's times where it's basically, hey, the Warriors, hey, you four stand over there, Steph, you take the three. Mm-hmm. Uh, hey, LeBron James has got the ball. You other four, you you go to the side. And so it's kind of that same way, you know, in in football. And so I think the ability to create explosives because you're sitting there saying like, look, it's my O-line, you know, five versus your box five, or it's my O-line tight end six versus your box six, or it's my receivers one-on-one, two-on-two. Um, and so just the, the ability to create isolation matchups is, is what makes it so explosive, which is what makes it so, you know, interesting for uh, for people to run and what makes it so versatile. It can be whatever it needs to be um, to win the game. I mean, a couple of years ago, uh, if people remember, you know, Baylor, Taylor put up however many points in yards against North Carolina in a bowl game. And right. Baylor used nothing but receivers and running backs at the quarterback position. All their quarterbacks were hurt. Uh, and so it was nothing but 
you know, receivers and, and quarterbacks playing quarterback that game, and they still, I'm, I'm fairly certain, won the bowl game and put up, you know, some absurd amount of, of yardage, and they, they didn't actually have a traditional quarterback that back there playing. With that in mind, like, that's one thing when people hear spread, and, and I know Kendall before his, his kind of like, it was, it was even yesterday, like he, he almost kind of boxed at the idea when people say, oh, it's an RPO-based offense, which I'm sure like the run-pass option is is in there. But uh, there's a lot of like elements of, you have to be able to run the football well in this offense. It's not just, you know, it's not just a oh, spread it out, air raid type of, type of deal, right? Is that what makes this kind of unique for maybe what you would think of other spread offenses? Like there's an element of power running to this at times, at least from from what my understanding is. A hundred percent. And I think that, again, like, let's look at the most successful offense in the, uh, college football last two years, Oklahoma Sooners, and they have been a gap run scheme, you know, power run team with, with air raid throw principles around it. And so, I mean, right now, like, that's been the most explosive offense the last two years. And then Baylor, when, or sorry, when Coach Bryles was at Baylor, same thing. I mean, they, they look, if you want to let them be run team with with the guys they had at, at Baylor running the ball and like they're fine handing the ball off and just crushing you for seven eight nine yards a clip and then eventually one of those backs is going to break loose and uh I'm, I you know I've seen enough highlights to know like look if Cam Akers gets in space like that's, a, that's gonna be a big play and mm-hmm. if, if they if Cam Akers gets 30 touches for you know 300 yards but they only throw for 120 150 like and that's what it took to win the game. Then I, I, and that's what it takes. If there's weeks where, look, we can't really run the ball. Cam Akers only gets, you know, whatever, 15 touches for, for 50 yards, but we throw for 380, then like, look, that, that is what it is, what it takes. And so I think they, they'll take whatever the defense gives them. But I think if the team wants to let them just run the ball downhill on them, like, I think that's just what they're going to do. Cause that's, like, that's it's way easier to hand the ball off to a, a super talented football player than it is for one football player to throw it to another. All right. That makes sense. Let's um, let's transition to some of the quarterbacks that you've had the opportunity to work with in the Jacksonville area. Well, you know, before I do that, I, I failed as a, as a journalist. What happened when team Tebow, when he, when Tebow tapped you on the shoulders, Hey, I'm coming in there. Were you just like, cool. Or were you, you know, were, were you cool with him taking you out? I mean, it is what it is. I, mean, <laughs> I think it, I think at that time, you know, maybe we didn't know truly how, how big of kind of football, you know, figure he would become. But, I mean, it's, we knew. I mean, we knew, like, look, this, this guy's different. This guy's special. Um, and so it, and it, and it became a deal where, like, Tebow had, had the respect of the team. Like, he wasn't a guy that, you know, some of these horror stories you read about, all these me-first, you know, some of these me-first kids, like, that's not who he was. Um, and so it's not a deal where – anybody really resented him it's a deal where you know hey look he's he's our he's one of our our top leaders and uh at the end of the day he's you know five star Tim Tebow and like have had a bud you're you're six you know six three two forty I'm not you're like good luck let's go win a state championship <laughs> so you were uh reluctantly okay with it you understood the yeah the, the deal there again it's Again, it's not like I I was a, a very good football player. I mean, I, I I had I had you know, did I do I want to compete? Yeah, but at the end of the day, like I can also recognize that hey, look, he can do things playing a position that he's never played before. You know, probably better than me just because of 
of his his physique and his you know just God given abilities. That that self awareness with the knowledge you've gotten from years of playing football probably helps uh, paint a picture as to why you're you're coaching and doing so at a at a high level right now. Um, and transitioning uh, in addition to to your to your work uh, with high schools, you've also got to work with with some high school quarterbacks and in various forms or fashion. Uh, and one, let's start off with, which I know my audience is going to be interested in, and that's Jeff Sims, the Florida State quarterback commit from from Jacksonville Sandalwood. Uh, if you will, I guess, your first impression of Jeff when, when you got a chance to start working with him and, and just how far he's come in that time. Yeah, so I, I, I've got to mention that, thankfully, uh, one of the quarterback co- local quarterback coaches, Denny Thompson, he, he kind of brought me – brought me in to start working with him a couple of years ago. And, uh, with that being, with that happening, you know, our, our little quarterback group, six points. Now we, we pretty much coach, you know, almost, we, we have a kid from pretty much every school in uh, the greater Northeast Florida area, you know, in our, our passing Academy here. And Jeff's one of them. And, uh, I think probably my favorite thing about Jeff is he, he is so engaging. Like he is, is, charisma is off the chart like he's a guy where he's he's infectious you know what i mean like he's like he's when he's having fun like everybody's having a, a great time um and so i think that's one of those you know quote-unquote intangible things you talk about but he is like he's he's that guy and i think it's on some level you want your quarterbacks to be that guy you want your quarterbacks to be you know thermostats not thermometers you want them to set the temperature of the room and uh, he's he's that like he is super engaging, super charismatic. You know he when he's when he's going he gets everybody's going. When he brings the juice, everybody's got juice. Um, so that's that's the first and foremost thing. Anytime I anytime I talk about Jeff, that's kind of what I mention. Okay. Um, and then the second thing is I think he's got all the arm talent. I mean he every time he makes a throw, it's just like all right Jeff, like that's a great ball, bud. Um, He's 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 a, a really 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 how he's a really good talent. I mean, he is a really good talent. He's scratching the surface of his abilities. He uh, I think he's starting to really become a plus thrower. Um, sneaky athletic because he's long. Like he's a long kid that can you know in open space like he can roll on you. And mm-hmm. uh, so he's I mean I think sky's the limit for him. Sky's the limit for him because I think from an intangible perspective he's. He's got a lot of those things that you want in terms of your, you know, your football CEO. And then from just a talent perspective, he checks a lot of the check boxes that you want. He's been so awesome for, and our listeners know this, we've talked about it when Christine, Josh Newberger on with me is that he is so great for Florida state's recruiting class a year after they had Sam Howell, who was a guy who essentially, you know, ended up, well, not even essentially, he ended up not wanting to be a part of Florida state very late in the process so they had a quarterback who wasn't really recruiting for Florida State. And Jeff Sims, like, like you said, Avery, is, man, he is uh, a leader in that sense. He's charismatic. He is a perfect face for this recruiting class. Uh, and now with the football side that you mentioned, I'm curious to get your thoughts on, on just kind of his skill set. I know he's still very much so a guy like we've seen on the camp circuit this year. He's developing, uh, hasn't, you know, still scratching the surface of, of his potential, what he can do. Uh, but how he fits, or he, he's someone that Kendall Browse loved, uh, and loves, I should say, still loves him. How does he fit in your mind with with what FSU wants to do, with based on your knowledge of of one Jeff's game, and then two uh, KD's offense? 
So I think I think it's twofold uh, this this answer. I think one, I think Jeff, if you kind of look at that FSU quarterback room right now, I think Jeff's a pretty good little continuation of, of a couple of the guys they got. Um, Jordan Travis, mm-hmm. and then uh, you know obviously James Blackman. I think that that you know Jeff fits in that mold of them. And as a as a coordinator or quarterback coach, you know obviously if you can keep the same type of kid year in year out, that makes things a little bit easier on you. Um, in terms of you know you don't have to change the scheme very much. You don't have to have you know two call sheets if if one guy gets hurt. Right. And so I think from that perspective, Jeff is. Jeff is a perfect fit for them. But then on the other, the flip side of it, you again, like look back where, you know, coach Bryles has been, and he's got some of that athleticism De'Aaron King had at, at Houston. Uh, and then he's got that throwing ability where like, Hey, look, we need you to throw the vertical to number one. And he's lined up, you know, three yards outside the numbers. Like I think Jeff can make those throws. Um, and he's only going to get, you know, bigger and stronger from what he is right now. And I think right now he can make a lot of those throws. And so from a, from athleticism, athleticism perspective, he brings things to the table that helps some of that run game go. And then just from an arm talent perspective, I think you, you can turn on film and say, Hey, this guy can make the throws we're asking. Cause I, I think one thing that people, you know, coaches, players, like everybody, like, you know, that throw outside the numbers, the number one vertical, like it starts getting pretty big. Uh, I, I made the joke a couple times at Bulls. Like, thankfully, uh, Bulls is an unbelievable academic institution. Um, our kids are super intelligent. So when I drop drop jokes about like, hey, look, guys, we got to talk about the Pythagorean theorem here. Like, they get it. And so just kind of some of that, uh, you know, A squared plus B squared equals C squared of those those throws to number one on the sideline when he's that wide. Like, that becomes a much bigger throw mm. than than you know the the general person might think and um and so but he he can do that he's got the arm talent to make those throws oh uh, the other quarterback that i want to talk about real quick dude i know we're uh, we're running up against it here a little bit time wise so i won't keep it too much longer but but walter simmons is is a kid that you worked with really really closely obviously last year at, at oak leaf and uh walter is a was it 20 oh god 2021 uh he, he's a he's a rising yep yeah rising junior and uh and he's someone that uh, has camped at Florida State. He's certainly on Florida State's radar. I don't believe he has an offer just yet, but he has a nice, really, a really nice offer sheet right now. UCF, USF, among some of the schools that that like him, and you know, those schools, obviously, UCF in in particular has uh, has Kendall Brown's brother-in-law uh, calling plays uh, over there in Orlando. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, so Levy. a guy who, yep, Jeff Levy. So, so that's a guy who um, who fits, I guess, in theory, what Florida State wants to do, uh, and he ran that offense. Uh, well, I'll let you humble brag, dude. I mean, he let it, he, he ran it through you uh, at a really high level uh, a year ago. Yeah. So first of all, like with, with that, like, I love that kid. He's uh he's a, he's a good kid. Like it's, it, you know, kind of generic to say, like, he's just a good kid. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's first and foremost about Walt. The second thing is his football IQ, or I shouldn't say his ability to understand and process football concepts at a high level and very quickly is off the charts for his age. And so last year, our, our rule was, look, we're going to keep installing new twists and turns on RPOs until he can't get it, which as a coach, you say, Hey, look, he's a sophomore. He's, he's, you know, I think he's even young for his age or young for his grade. And so you, you think at some point he's going to hit that wall and, and he never did. Like he's a kid where we just could put so much on his plate from a mental perspective. 
Um, and that was the one thing that I tell when people ask me, coaches ask me about a kid. I just tell them like, look, coach, like, I don't know what you guys do in the RPO game, but like he is off the charts in terms of understanding RPOs and what you're trying to do with it. Um, and so he's from a mental perspective, I think he's kind of ready made for that offense, not just because we, we did some similar flavors of it last year, but because I think his ability to process that information you tell him quickly and understand it is, is off the charts and is exactly what you want, you know, on some of that stuff they're going to try to do where, Hey, things, things can convert here or understanding, Hey, look who, who we're trying to RPO, you know, on, on some of these more vertical third level RPO reads. Um, and so his ability to do all that is just, it's off the charts. And, uh, I know, I know he, he really likes that offense because every time he talks to me about, you know, uh, going, going to one of those schools that runs something similar, he's super excited about coach. They do this, they do that. <laughs> hey. And then they, they, you know, what we used to call this, they call that and blah, blah, blah. And so I know, I know the idea of something like that is, is, you know, at least somewhat interesting to him. Cause he lights up when he talks about, about stuff like that. But I think from a mental perspective, that kid, is going to come in I mean, wherever he goes, like wherever he ends up from a mental perspective, I think he's going to come in and, uh, and immediately be able to gravitate and learn, learn whatever offense fairly quickly, just because of the um, amount of information he could process last year. I mean, last year on every run play, he had two different on every run play. He had two different throws he could make. Wow. Um, every pass play he had, you know, front side of the concept, he could work back side of the concept. He could work. Uh, we're RPOing things where, you know, he's, he's able to, to run the run play from left to right, but then look over his right shoulder and, and, you know, read guys into the alley and, and just some of the stuff he's able to do in terms of reading people and then just how fast the ball comes out on RPOs. And I that's mean, a soft, can, that's a sophomore that we're talking about at this time too, right? Like yeah. this is a sophomore, it's an advanced Correct. skill set. <laughs> yeah. As a, as a sophomore last year, I think he, he ended up breaking just about every, uh, passing record at the school through for over 2000 yards. Um, and it's just, he's, he's, he's a super talented kid. I mean, I don't, I didn't have anything to do with that. I, I was right place, right time. Uh, he's super talented. Um, and that's super talented and and, and great football IQ. You're, you're putting the humble and the humble brag, uh, opportunity I gave you there. I like it. Uh, is, is this, so if, if we're looking, I mean, we talk about, uh, about Jeff and Walt, uh, Carson Beck is another name. Like, is this like the golden age yeah. of Jacksonville quarterbacks? Like this is a really good group that that's kind of all in the same age range right now. It's, but it's not that it's, it's, I mean, me and me and Denny Thompson, we talk about all the time. It's not that it's like, I mean, you look back to three or four years ago, the stream of quarterbacks that have come out of this area is, it's, it's unbelievable. We're, li- I mean, Jacksonville quarterbacks are littered over all over college football. You talk about Joey Gatewood, you know, has a chance to be started at Auburn this year. Mm-hmm. Um, Riley Smith, also from Bartram Trails, competing up at Boise State. Nick mm-hmm. Trine competing down at FAU. Uh, JoJo Burnell competing at Georgetown. Um, Carter Bradley, Mac Jones, uh, Cars- obviously Carson and Jeff. We've got a couple 2021. Um, Ja'Cory Jordan, Walt Simmons that are, you know, starting to get a bunch of offers. And it's, this group we've got is special. But if, if you kind of look back, I want to say the last, in the last four or five years, I believe there's been a Jacksonville representative in the elite 11. Hmm. Um, 
And so it's, and then we got, we got young kids in the area. I mean, there's, there's two, you know, sophomores at different schools around Jacksonville that started last year as a freshman. Um, and so we, this, you know, the 2020 class obviously is unbelievable. Jeff and Carson are both really, really good football players. Uh, the 2021s, we got a couple, but then you start looking at the 22s and the 23s and you start, you know, kind of connecting some of the dots and saying like, holy smokes, it, it looks like there's a, an opportunity for there to be a, a long string of quarterbacks uh, to kind of come through this area. Because previously it was, you know, Tim Tebow, obviously, Kyle Parker from Bartram Trail, you know, Nate Peterman from Bartram Trail. I mean, mm-hmm. there were a handful of really good players, but it just seems like this, you know, last last four or five year stretch we're on is, uh, is pretty unbelievable. And it's kind of, it's almost getting hard now to turn on a game on Saturday and not see a Jacksonville quarterback either as the guy or as the two. Um, I mean, I think worst case scenario, you're looking at, you know, four or five Jacksonville guys as, as number twos. And some of those guys at super prestigious programs, I mean, worst case scenario for Joey Gatewood, he's the two at Auburn as a red shirt freshman, I believe. Uh, you know, Mac Jones is the, the number two at Alabama. Um, and so, you know, those, those are, those are big time programs. I mean, that's big time football. And, uh, they all come from this, you know, greater, greater Northeast Florida area. All right, folks, this is, uh, this was Aaron Avery really uh, laying down a ton of, a ton of knowledge. Do you want to go beat up Tim Tebow with me after this? Just for like revenge from 10 years ago. Let's go do it. As soon as you stop recording. Absolutely not. All right. Well, just just twofold on that. I don't, (laughs) I don't harbor. Like he is, he's awesome. He's a really good human being. He's awesome too. Like, I don't know if we're winning that matchup, bud. Uh, I mean, not even two verse one. All right. We'll we'll talk about it off fair. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. (laughs) Avery, thanks for <laughs> thanks for joining me. I really appreciate it, and I know my audience does too. This was really informative and and fun, and uh, thank you so much. I appreciate it, and good luck this season. I know it's uh, it's going to be busy for you guys, and you got a new offense and whatnot there. But uh, but thanks again for making the time, dude. Yes, sir.